We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 172. It's a Wednesday night rain out, Scott, and it's a good thing because I was not looking forward to sitting around until 1 a.m. to watch a damn Yankees-Orioles game again. Yeah, it's nice that they actually call this a little bit earlier because if you're sitting around waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then they start the game at 9 o'clock, you really screw a lot of the people on the East Coast. Because you're looking forward to a seven o'clock game, then you get a basically you have a West Coast game at that point, and it becomes extremely late, and then it becomes close, and then they break your heart at one in the morning, and you're pissed off that you stayed awake the entire time because Dylan Batances comes out and just shits the bed. <laughs> oh, we are gonna talk about all of that fun stuff. Before we do, though, coming up later in this episode, we talked to Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. He returned to the podcast. If you remember, we had him on back early in the season. We talked all of the Applegate, Watchgate, Red Sox cheating bastards gate with him, plus the playoff picture. Um, so it was good to talk to him again. And also, Scott, we finally have an update for September 30th. We do. We finally got some uh, some some progress 
tomorrow, today, when you're listening to this, we will have the link ready to go so you can go on and purchase tickets for September 30th. I'm very excited about this. I know Andrew is. We've been talking about it to you guys. You were supposed to make sure that your calendar was set, ready to go for September 30th. I hope you did it. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. The ticket price is $59. There may be a small charge on top of that for the the platform that we're using with the Yankees. Um, It's kind of like a Ticketmaster type platform. Uh, But $59 gets you the ticket in Section 205-206, gets you a t-shirt that I have designed and finalized, and I will also send that out on social media so you can see it. It's a pretty cool shirt. I'm excited for it around Chase for 28. And you're also getting a pregame party at the Bronx Brewery at their tasting room, which is a, a short walk from the subway in the Bronx. We will all go there, drink some beers, have a good time, and then hop on the train and go to the stadium. So that gets you also two 16-ounce Bronx Banner Ales. And then from there on, the deal is $4 pints of of the Bronx Banner Ale, uh, 16-ounce pint. So it's a great deal. Uh, The tickets, again, they're below even retail value. So we made this extremely affordable this time. We want to get a bunch of people out there. It's kind of the whole point of this. It's going to be a massive game. Obviously, you can tell by the way things are going that September 30th is most likely going to be a playoff game against the Blue Jays, who are very much going to want to knock the Yankees out. Yeah, the Blue Jays are hanging tough against the Red Sox, playing them 19 innings. Almost did the Yankees a huge favor, couldn't get the job done last night. But everyone, I am really looking forward to that September 30th event. I'm going to be in New York for that event, so uh, it just feels a little bit different for me, Scott. I think everybody's going to be in New York for that event because it is in New York. So well, I'm going to be living in New York for that event is what I mean. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think there's going to be a very different level of, uh, of excitement in that, in that particular game because it's so close to the playoffs that you know, we're, we're going to see the writing on the wall or it may determine you know, one way or the other how we either get into the playoffs, what the seeding looks like, or don't make the playoffs, God forbid. But there's going to be a, a lot on this game. So if you haven't, Make sure you set aside, go buy the tickets, go check out uh, one of our social media accounts. I'll put it everywhere. I'll put it on the website uh, and you'll be able to check it out and then invite your friends. That's big. Tell your friends, come sign up as a group uh, so that you can get the tickets and sit together. This system is supposed to make it a lot easier so that everybody can sit together. Um, And then the t-shirt will be actually sent to you this time. We are not going to be giving them out day of, which makes it easier for everybody. I think you'll be able to pick your shirt, the size, and it will be mailed to you. Um, within you know a few days after you actually purchase, so don't wait because there will be a cutoff for you to get your T-shirt day of. I had not thought that if the Yankees were out of the playoffs, I didn't even consider that with the way things have been going, uh, with the Yankees having a, a sort of comfortable lead in the in the wild card and chasing the Red Sox in the division. But damn, there's going to be a lot of angry drunk, drunks there if the Yankees are out of the playoffs. We don't want angry drunks; we want happy drunks at that game. I see. I don't even see that being the case. I don't see them being out of the playoffs by that point. I mean, to me, that's it could make or break. I mean, it could be one of those, you know, win or win or, or go home games. It could be a a number of things on the line. Do I think that the Yankees will be out of it at that point? No, I don't. Not even remotely. I think they will. Personally, I think they're going to have a, a a couple games that are going to be battling for the AL crown, the AL East crown. That's what I think is going to come down to. That's my prediction, anyway. Right. I'm with you on that. So we can relay some signals down to the Yankees hitters from the right field seats, just like uh, the Red Sox are doing with Apple Watches. Absolutely. We will be using reflective cards. Yep. They, the reflective cards are on the back of the Susan Waldman and John Sterling big well, heads. That's what so it is. we will be doing using Morse code. Yeah. If it's, if it's a breaking ball, we use Susan's face. And if it's a fastball, we use Sterling's face. 
Yeah, we could do that way too. It'll be like the college football sidelines. Right. Uh, I, I think you and I are on the same page about this, that everyone is freaking out. Rightfully so. Anytime you see a headline, Red Sox cheated, and then the Yankees are the ones that blew their spot up, of course that's going to make headlines. But as far as the stealing of signals goes, and we also talked about this with Jared Diamond later in this episode, it's kind of not a huge deal. No, it's part of baseball. It's always been part of baseball. It's been part of baseball for as long as you can remember, as long as your grandfather can remember, because it, it goes back to the, the beginning of the sport. If you're not trying to find an advantage by looking at what other teams are doing, how they're relaying their information to their their teammates, then you're not doing a good enough job. What is the problem here is that these jackasses did it so blatantly that they got caught. And it just looks really dumb. To me, it's very similar to what, like, there's a whole bunch of other things that that you could talk about um, in sports today with all these, with the NFL doing their thing with the deflate gate and the spy gate and all that crap. Like, look, everybody's doing it. It's just the, it's just the fact that you get caught and it's, it looks dumb. It looks terrible. This, this particular situation, I think, is more of a response to the pine tar thing. Like, oh, you made us look bad. Now we're going to make you look bad. It's kind of like, it's kind of a media play in all honesty too. And maybe, just maybe, it's a ploy to drive the rivalry higher. It could be all seeded by ESPN. <laughs> it's just a ploy by ESPN to, to drive ratings. I totally agree with you that if P- Pineda went out and showered himself in pine tar, that's why John Farrell and the Red Sox had had to say something. It was so blatantly obvious they had to say something. And I guess that's how Cashman felt because he's the one who sort of started this investigation uh, into what the Red Sox were doing and brought it to Manfred and MLB's attention. I don't know. Maybe he he tried to go directly to the Red Sox. I know I read something where a lot of times if a GM of one team thinks the other team is stealing signals in a non-kosher way, meaning not just on the field, they're using some sort of ballpark mechanism or some other signal from outside of the field or, or uh, outside of the lines on the field, that they will go directly to the other GM and say, hey, what the hell? Cut this shit out. Yeah, just so you know, we know. Right. We saw your your little device. We know what you're doing. Cut the shit, or we're exactly we're, we're going. We're going. We're, we're going to put you on blast. I don't know if Cashman did that with Dombrowski. I'm sure if he if he did, it probably would have come out at this point. So I, I guess he didn't. But he just decided he was pissed off. He was pissed that the Yankees lost a crucial series. They lost two out of three to the Red Sox that weekend at Fenway Park. There was a couple balls that. Um, that really, you you sit, you you watch. I know Devers hit a home run off. Uh, was it Canley who gave up the home run? And it was it was like, okay, well, how's this how's this rookie again taking one of our ninety nine mile an hour relievers deep? So it's just I think it kind of just crossed a line with with the Yankees and Cashman. Yeah, and I I think that if it were a different team, that maybe this would slide a little bit more unless it was like the Tigers after that brawl. There had to have been some other reason why this is, you know, being put on the forefront and and being exposed to the media and sent to Manfred and all these things. Because like you said earlier, you know, baseball has been policing itself for a very long time. Now, granted, we're talking about technologies and and third-party devices and things like this. Usually what happens when someone is stealing a sign, like it's, you can steal signs, but don't get caught doing it. Like don't be seen doing it because if you are seen doing it while it's, there's no rule against it. 
you will be dealt with on the field. And that's always been the way that's, you know, either they're going to go high and tight on a guy or they're going to come in with their cleats up or whatever it is. The, the game and the players usually police itself during with a situation like this. Now that baseball has taken a lot of these situations out with, you know, running over the catcher and sliding uh, spikes up or, you know, trying to take out a double play. The, the quick hook on the on the ejections for um, throwing inside on people. I feel like the game has almost taken away the policing from the players. And now maybe Brian Cashman feels like he needs to take matters into his own hands. And this is how what happened. So how do you police this on the field? Do you do you throw up and in on, on a guy you believe is one of them, one of the guys stealing signals? Because it was apparently the trainer of the Red Sox and Dustin Pedroia, who was on the DL at the time, who was doing all this shady shit with the, with the Apple Watches. And also, yeah. first of all, b- before we even get to how were they even doing this? Was it like they were sending messages to one another on Apple Watches? So like based on vibration, they knew what, what signal it was? Like how was this getting onto the field for the players at the plate. No, no, no. Someone was receiving a signal on their Apple watch in the dugout. Right. It was a bench coach or whomever. And then he was telling Pedroia what it was on, what was transcribed on this message. And then Pedroia was either using hand signals or telling whoever's on deck or whatever. He's using signals to tell everybody. So this is like 10 uh, layers deep. Going it's going from clubhouse yeah. attendants to trainers, to coaches, to players, all the way onto the field. And back in the day, you read some of the articles about this is that they would have basically gophers who would relay this information. So if someone were to find something on camera and they see something in game that is, you know, of interest that can help the team out while you cannot, you know, electronically send that information to somebody in the dugout because there's no electronic devices in the dugout allowed. What they would do is send a gopher and he would basically sprint to tell the guys in the dugout, hey, look, so-and-so is tipping his curveball by licking his finger or he's you know, le- leaving his glove I- at the midsection when he's going to throw a fastball. Whatever it is, that's how they would do it. But this was a-, a device in the dugout and then immediately transcribing that information to somebody. So, yeah. I mean, that can be done pretty quickly. I guess. So I guess you just throw up and in on these players or, or you go, like you said, cleats first or something like that? Yeah, see, we don't even know about it. That's the beauty of it. We, you know, I'm sure this has happened a million times that we have no idea, but players know, managers know, you know, there's subtle things that they're, I'm sure that they say something at, at some point when they're talking on first base or wherever. And then, yeah, there's a, you know, they'll, they'll police the game in their own way and, and they'll go up and in or they'll, they'll do something to police the game. That's how it's always been. That's how they've always policed a game. The players and the managers on the field between the lines have always policed the game. And now I feel like a lot of it's being taken out. Do you remember last season at Fenway, Chase Headley and Porcello got in a little argument um, on the field? And that was apparently over Chase Headley, apparently stealing signs. Yeah, it was something I, I remember the the argument and cause Chase Headley was taken aback. Like he couldn't believe that yeah. they were coming after him. Um, well, because Porcello, I don't remember the exact situation, so, but yeah, I do remember. So what happened was Headley got thrown out trying to stretch um, a double into a triple. He got thrown out at third base and then immediately popped up and started yelling at Porcello because apparently Porcello on either Headley's slide into third or at some point accused him of stealing signs or maybe it was earlier in the game or something like that. Yeah, whatever. I mean, that's the type of stuff that happens. Though. I mean, they'll balk at each other. They'll, they'll, they'll take care of it. 
you know, man to man on the field and but, they'll, they'll, it'll get squashed in baseball yeah. on the field. It'll get squashed. Well, now we're, we're, we've got this media game going where the Red Sox are now accusing the Yankees of using yes network cameras to steal signs. The Yankees are also accusing Doug Fister of having earpieces in, even though it was really his mouth guard over his ear, which is freaking disgusting. I don't know why he's putting his mouth guard on his sweaty, gross Doug Fister ear, but whatever. So that we've happens got all this... the time. They do that in basketball, like every yeah. Game. I know it's hockey players are always ear. chewing on their earpieces or their mouthpieces, and I don't know whatever. Uh, you've got though this back and forth of tattling on one another. Yeah, it's getting annoying. I'm, I'm. Look, I, I really could care less about this whole thing. It's really just another way. It, what it is is it's another. It's another unbelievably ridiculous New England team getting caught for doing something really stupid and cheating in the in the same way. Of course, I'm going to go there. It's the freaking most obvious thing in the world. New England teams cheat. That's what they do. The Patriots have cheated multiple times. Do I think that they're cheating more than other teams are cheating? No, probably not. But they're getting caught. They're stupid. I don't know why they run such a tight ship, yet they get caught doing these things. I, I, I don't know. The Red Sox, I could see. I could see how you'd be. You're a bunch of idiots, you know, eating chicken wings and drinking beer. I mean, I get that. They're sloppy. I can see how they get caught. So it's just a, to me, maybe it's a cultural thing up there. I do. I have noticed firsthand that everybody in the New England area is brainwashed by their sports teams. Like it's unbelievable the amount of coverage up there for the freaking Patriots and like, and what they're doing with the Red Sox. It's, it's insane. I've never seen anything like it, but, but yeah, um, I, I don't know. It's a cultural thing. Apparently with the sports, they love the cheating in the pantheon of baseball, cheating and stealing signs. Do you think this is worse or not as bad as if you're using like the ballpark to use signals, because there's always the rumors that Toronto has something shady going on in their ballpark. It's just new age. It's just the new technology. It's whatever is the new thing. I mean, back in the day when the binocular was a new technology, they were using that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the device is or how they're doing it. They've been doing it for forever. I mean, granted the technology makes it a little bit easier, a lot easier probably and faster. So things can, uh, get to people a lot quicker and actually be used more easily. So that's a problem, but it's the same concept. Just make an example of somebody, preferably the Red Sox and nip it in the ass. And the reason why there is no rule specifically saying you can't steal signs is because there's literally no way that a rule could prevent you from stealing signs. Just like there's no law saying you can't count cards in blackjack and blackjack and casinos. If you get caught, you're getting yeah. booted out of the casino. If you get right. caught in baseball, you're going to have someone tattle on you or you're going to get a, a fastball right in the rib cage. But right. there is no specific rule book or no law that says you can't do it. Right. And I don't think there should be. I mean, you should have common sense. And if you want to go against the quote, you know, underground rules or the, you know, the, the bro code or whatever it is you want to call it for baseball, then you do that at your own risk. Unfortunately, the problem is to me, baseball has taken a lot of that policing and the fun out of controlling the game within the game. And they've taken a lot of that out. And I don't know. I think that's unfortunate. I think that's taken a lot of the, you know, a lot of the to me, it was a lot of the things that I liked in baseball. Not so much the people getting hurt, but you know the fact that they, they do do these things and there's repercussions for other actions. There's, it's not like guys go sliding head, uh, feet up for no good reason. They usually do it for a reason. And if they don't, well, then there's a, there's a retaliation for a reason. And it usually squ- is squashed after a game or maybe a series. God forbid some tempers flare. God forbid there's some emotion. Well, that's a good segue into the Gary Sanchez suspension news reduced to three games after the sucker punching and all that stuff from Detroit series. I think all things considered, Sanchez is getting off pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised they reduced it, but it seems like everybody who, when you appeal something, you get it reduced at least a game. I mean, it's like... It seems you know, to be I'm built gonna... into the original <laughs> yeah. the original uh, fine or whatever suspension. That seems to be built in. Like, yeah, we're going to reduce this eventually, so let's give them an extra game. Yeah, it's like a garage sale. Like, you know you're going to sell this table for 10 bucks, so you mark it for 15 bucks, right. and then you take 10 It's It's the same concept. It's it's uh, just a, a very simple negotiation tactic, I think, by the by the players' union and... The powers that be in baseball. So, yeah, look, three games. That's uh, actually two games if you look at Jordan Montgomery start because we have a personal catcher <laughs> situation going on with, uh, with Austin Romine. So two games, really. That's a good point. Uh, and shout out also to MLB for waiting until after the four-game Red Sox series to announce it. Again, conspiracy theories, trying to get these two teams to uh, play each other and have some bad blood in the postseason, which I'm fine with. <clears throat> Oh, exactly, and that I like. I like. I like this conspiracy by ESPN. If that's who's doing it, <laughs> okay. What is this ESPN conspiracy? Just because of that the other article that that they posted today? No, I'm just saying it's it's a uh, you know ESPN's always touting Yankees Red Sox. There was you know T- Tim Tebow, uh, Yankees Red Sox, Colin Kaepernick, whatever's like the hot button. ESPN just shoves well, ESPN it down your throat. Recycles soccer, the same five storylines. For some reason, they shove it down your throat because they have a, a contract, which is unbelievable. How many of the top ten is actually a soccer highlight? That's embarrassing. But I get away from the point. My thing is, is that ESPN has found some very bad times lately, and they're trying to get behind some things. This could be one of them. Nice little uh, underground ploy. Do you know what your problem is? You're still watching ESPN unless it's a live sporting event. No, I like I. It's it just consumes my life. If I'm watching TV, it's usually some sporting event or a highlight reel or something. I just like having it on. You just just like sports on in the background to let everyone know you're a man. Yes. And maybe I'm watching a highlight on my phone while I got highlights on the, on the TV as well. Highlights on highlights. It's just, it's background highlights on highlights. Uh, The Yankees flew down to Baltimore after the, the late night series win Sunday night. They played a day game on Labor Day, one seven to four, the Orioles had the pitching matchup in that game. It was Dylan Bundy versus Jordan Montgomery. Again, another tough matchup. The Yankees had two pitchers going, Montgomery and Sabathia, so far in this series. They're tough matchups for that heavy, heavily right-handed hitting Baltimore lineup. Yankees kind of won in a, in a high-scoring game here. Didi and Castro led the way with five RBIs. Again, punctuating the fact that these guys are 27 years old, two of the best at their position, shortstop and second base. Goes back to the fact that how you and I, the entire offseason, were just saying, why are people so ready to move on from these guys when they're in their prime? But I really am, I have a lot of, uh, I'm looking forward to both of these guys carrying this team in September. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it does go back to that where everybody's just touting. And that's just, you know, that's just human nature where they want to see the next best thing. Grass is always greener type of mentality when Yankee fans are looking at prospects and they just, you know, they're 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 drooling and their eyes get huge because they see a, a quote stud prospect and they're, you know, they're looking for the next like A-Rod guy coming up. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have two stud players right in front of you. Uh, Didi, who is the most clutch son of a bitch I've ever seen. Like this dude is just, it seems like every time there's a big situation, he's up, he gets a hit. Um, and then Castro, he's just one of my, he's one of my favorite players. I love watching him. He's he's uh he's just very he's exuberant. He's uh he plays very loose. And damn, can that boy mash? I mean, his hand eye coordination, eye bat to ball is is some of the best 
um, in in the league. I mean, I, I think I compared it, well, not to the extent, but you know how Vlad Guerrero would, would go and just hit every bad ball pitch. Castro can hit anything, no matter if it's a bad ball or not. The dude is is very good. And he has become a lot more disciplined, I think, as he's getting older. And when you're seeing that, you're seeing his real talent because this guy can really square up balls quite often when they're in, in the uh, when they're in the strike zone. So if he's laying off those breaking balls to the outside where he would flare at, um, he's a different hitter. And he's been on fire since returning. And it's a huge, huge, huge guy to have on fire. A right-handed power bat. Love it. 372 since his return from the DL. And he had that huge hit uh, on Sunday to break the game open and then the three RBIs on Monday. It went under the radar how much the Yankees missed him. Torres was a great fill-in. Tyler Wade played. He did not really do that well. But it was just went under the radar how much the Yankees missed Darlene Castro. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think people, you know, they get, everybody's excited about Torres because Torres is a great player for what he is, but that's what he is. He's a bench guy who comes in, who'll give you a great at bat. He'll play solid defense. He could play all over the place. He's kind of like the, an energy guy on the team. It's fun to watch because he's small and that's fun to watch because judge is big and you know, everybody likes seeing those things. And he's just not an everyday guy. If he was, he'd probably be a pretty, he'd be a good everyday guy, but Starlin Castro is an all-star player. Exactly. They don't call him all Starlin for nothing. Yeah, it's a it's just a different level of uh, of player. I mean, he's got power. Toa doesn't have much power, but he will. You know, he'll get a bunch of hits. He'll steal an occasional base. He'll play good defense. He's exactly what you need for a utility guy. Castro is a starter, is an all star, is a stud second baseman for a reason. So, um, and they're best friends up the middle. How how much? What what more do you want than two guys who are playing well together? Best friends off the field have great personalities. The only thing that could make it better is if Castro brings back that song or a song like it that he had in um, in Chicago, the one that we use for our voicemails every Monday. I want that in Yankee Stadium. I'm telling you, I'm looking for both of those guys to lead the team in September. It would be great. It would be absolutely great. We also have to talk about Chad Green's just ridiculous numbers this season. 59 and a third innings on the year, 90 strikeouts. 90 strikeouts in 60 innings, essentially. 0.708 whip. He's just been absolutely filthy. He has been the Andrew Miller type that we thought maybe Batances would be, maybe Canely would be, maybe Warren would be. It's been Chad Green. Yeah, and the the nice thing about him is is he's not just a one-inning guy. Like you said, he's playing that Andrew Miller role in the sense where he can come in, he can, he can do that one inning for you with with confidence, but he can also stretch it out and give you two, you know, maybe three innings if you were to push him. But the guy is just, he's really found his, his way in the bullpen. I think his power arm plays so much better as a bullpen guy. And I I think they really did the right things with him. We don't say that very often with, with the Yankees brass and management doing the right thing with a pitcher, a young pitcher that has come up through the system. Um, and well, he was traded, but he's still a young guy in the system. The, uh, but they've done the right things and he's really, really grown into that role. This is a guy that's going to be, a a staple in this bullpen for a long time. It's going to be interesting to see how they use him as the season gets closer and closer to the playoffs because they used him for two and a third innings on Monday. And then obviously they didn't use him on Tuesday night because he's not going to pitch after he did two innings. But if, if it's a playoff game or a do or die game and he pitched two innings the night before, do you think Girardi will use him the next night? Yeah, I think he would. I think that he's really gaining that confidence in, in uh, green and, but it's nothing he's about going confidence. To... It's about a young kid who they don't want to injure. So, so I still think they're playing a little bit of the safe card with Green on his usage. 
I don't. I, I I still think that's a. I mean, Girardi has to have that major confidence in a guy to use him in a big spot. And I think and he's shown that time and time that he will go to a certain guy in a given situation many times over, and he will not deviate from that plan. And what Chad Green done has done this year is given him that confidence. But it's not just for one inning. It's not just I'm, I have confidence in you to throw the eighth inning or just throw the ninth inning. He has confidence to bring him in as that fire extinguisher, and and that's huge. That's huge. And I do think that. Um, even you know in a big situation on, on on you know if he's pitched even the night before or the two nights before and he's a little bit uh, more in the pitch count over the past couple of days than he has I still think he'll go back to him especially if it's a game that means something big yeah he could be a wild card for them in in the in their playoff run um, Hellickson pitched uh, against Sabathia on Tuesday the Yankees hit Hellickson which makes sense because he had a five fifteen ERA coming into the night he's gonna be really pissed off if they didn't hit him they played six runs in the third inning. And then the offense does jack shit after that. They get four base runners after the third inning. That still should have been enough to win that game. Sabathia had been pitching so well recently, but that Orioles lineup, he has a 7.1, excuse me, 7.41 ERA on the season against Baltimore. So as good as Sabathia has been against the Red Sox, he's been equally as bad against Baltimore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy thing. When you think about that, those numbers and how he is, uh, it's just, you know, I guess that, that the power of that right-handed lineup, I mean, they're a good hitting team. There's no doubt about it. They've, sure. they've, they've always been a good hitting team. We knew that the, the strength of the Orioles this year was going to be their offense. Their pitching is still shit. It's abysmal. It's a freaking embarrassment of the pitching staff. And that's the reason they can never do anything because it holds them back. The only saving grace are the two guys at the back of their bullpen with uh, Daniel um, Daniel Day Lewis or Daniel O'Day, whatever the hell his name is, Darren and O'Day, yeah. Darren O'Day and um, and Zach Britton. So those two guys are are by far the the studs. They've just had too many guys that haven't worked out that they thought were going to work out, and they carried them too long. Dylan Bundy being one who was hurt forever and has come back. I mean he's he's been okay, but he has not been the guy that they expected him to be. Right? Yeah, like this, that that lineup for Sabathia when you've got Manny Machado and Scope, who has thirty homers and a hundred RBIs, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, Trumbo, uh, Adam Jones. It's just a lot of tough right-handed hitters that hit home runs. That's exactly what happened. He kept giving up the solo shot. Then that two-run homer to to Trumbo before Girardi finally got him out there. You got Canely, Robertson, and then Chapman in the eighth inning. Every Yankees fan was scared for Chapman in the eighth inning. We were confident for Bertances in the ninth inning. Kind of funny how that shit works out, isn't it? Yeah, because Chapman comes in and and pitched well. He looked good. He was throwing hard. He was looked like he had a lot better control. While while the last uh, the strike, I forget who was who he struck struck out at the to end the inning was probably four inches off the plate. I'm glad they called it a strike. Uh, it was close enough for that guy. Which that is awesome. ump stunk. That ump stunk last night. He had no he consistency. Was, he was bad. There were some balls that were. I'm not going to complain about this because he was just not good. But there were some balls, uh, some some of those curveballs that Batanzas threw that looked looked pretty good to me that were not called. Um, but he could just kept going back to it. Yeah. So everybody else looked pretty good. Canley actually had a, a nice little. Um, he got out of uh, an inning without giving up anything. He's been struggling, so it's nice to see him kind of start to right the ship. Chapman needs to right the ship because he's such a crucial part of this team. Uh, and then David Robertson's the guy that. I don't know, to me, he's been probably the most consistent. He's had a couple hiccups, but not many. He's probably the most consistent guy in that bullpen right now. Definitely. and this Not, was, not named Chad Green. This is uh, the eighth inning last night for Chapman was the biggest spot he's been used in since being demoted. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, look, we knew he was going to go back to him. 
I think you and I both agreed on the fact that as soon as Chapman showed some life and showed that confidence that was back, he's going to go back to that ninth inning guy. Girardi's going to tap already, him as the closer again. He already mentioned it today on the radio. He was asked yeah. about it, and he said, well, it's something we have to think about. And as soon as right. Girardi's saying that, you know he's already thought about it and made a decision. He just didn't want to announce it at that time. Yeah, I mean, literally, as soon as he said he was gone, I knew that it was, he was going to be, as fast as he was gone, he will be back as fast as he uh, as, as soon as he shows any kind of life, because that's what he was brought here to do. So, look, he's he's got to have that confidence back to be in the in the ninth inning. This team is is better when he's pitching in the ninth inning, frankly. So, you know, I'm good with that. But Tantus, you cannot walk Tim Beckham and and bring up the go ahead run in the bottom of the ninth inning at Baltimore when you've lost well, I think 11 series is series in a row <laughs> while you're at Camden Yards. And you walk Beckham to get to Manny freaking Machado. You've got to waste be kidding no me. time and just shells the ball. I mean, you knew it was coming. It was. It happened so fast that uh, I just what the game's over. That's it was unbelievable. If you're Batances in that situation, you have to be saying to yourself, "I will throw a pitch right down the middle of the plate to Beckham, and if he hits a home run on me." Fine, at least he beat me, and we are tied. Instead of bringing up Manny Machado, the Orioles' best player, one of the best players in baseball, I don't care what his batting average is this season, and he hung a curveball. He threw 16 out of 20 pitches were curveballs. That is unacceptable. I was talking to people on Twitter today. They were saying, well, his best pitch is his curveball. He can get away with it. Look at Mariano only threw one pitch. We're not going to start comparing Dylan Patances' curveball to Mariano Rivera's cutter, the cutter being the greatest pitch in Major League Baseball history. You can't live on just a curveball. It's not possible. The reason why his curveball is so effective is because he plays off of that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. The curveball is 12-6. to 6. It drops off the face of the planet when it's going well. But if you miss your spot even a little bit when you're throwing multiple curveballs, it's extremely hittable. When you miss your spot a little bit when you're throwing that fastball and locating that fastball, it's not as hittable. You can get away with it. But when you can't locate your fastball and people don't have to worry about it as much or they'll just wait and wait and wait for you to throw that curveball because they know it's coming or if you just continue to throw it and prove that you can't throw the fastball over the plate, then you're a different pitcher. Then you're a guy that's hittable and you're taking away one of your biggest weapons, which is the fastball. The fastball is his biggest weapon. The curveball is probably his best pitch. But that fastball sets everything up. Yeah, but the Orioles could ignore it last night because he threw the four fastballs. Three of them were balls, and the other one was a swinging strike to Pedro Alvarez, but it was up around his neck, so he did Batances a favor. Machado went up there saying, I don't give a crap about his 98-mile-an-hour fastball. I'm going to sit on his curveball, and he hung one, and he, and he pounded it to the moon. It, you could, Like you said, you could see it happening from a mile away. Well, I don't know why Batances just completely loses command in his fastball. He lost faith in it last night. I didn't really see him shaking off Romine, so Romine was calling the curveball. I guess he just figured, well, Batances has no confidence in it, so he's not going to throw it. Let's just try and ride or die with this knuckle curve. And that needs to be a conversation before the outing. It needs to be a conversation during their bullpen sessions. They they have to talk about the, the, the whole entire repertoire. And I'm sure these conversations happen, so I don't know why all of a sudden confidence is lacking when you're in the middle of of an outing, but that it's got to be very well known that these two pitches of Dylan Batantis are complementary, and they don't work in ta- they don't work you know alone. They, they work together in tandem, and that's why he's effective. 
you cannot go out there and just throw fastballs or just throw curveballs as a reliever. You will get hit every single time. And that's what you're showing. If you can't locate a pitch, you might as well not be able to throw it. They're not going to look at it. They're not even going to try to swing at it. They're going to look for the one pitch that they think you can throw for a strike. And that's what people are looking for. Ultimately, they're trying to hit a strike. Well, you can maybe get away with just throwing fastballs, maybe, but you can't get away with just throwing curveballs. It's never going to happen. Not anymore. I don't think you can do it anymore. I don't think you can get away with just throwing fastballs anymore, unless there's some, some significant tail, unless you have a, a two-seam fastball that does a, a, a very healthy cut action. I mean, but that's then you're talking about a different type of pitch. Yeah. But, uh, Four-seam fastballs, it doesn't matter how hard it is anymore. It really doesn't. We saw Pedroyo fouling off like nothing, 105 miles an hour, 104 miles an hour the other night with Chapman. He couldn't put him away with a 104-mile-an-hour pitch multiple times, just swatting it away, waiting for another pitch. And now it added to their one-run losses, which is uh, 24, which is second most in baseball, and they have 23 blown saves, third most, most in baseball in the season. That that goes back. It's shocking how that's third most, by the way. That's shocking. Right, right. But it goes back to this is not how we thought this Yankees team was going to lose, especially after they added at the trade deadline to the bullpen again. These one-run losses and these blown saves, this is not what we expected out of this bullpen. You're telling me that their starter went out there and got pounded? Okay, we saw that coming. We did not see blown saves with $86 million man and Dellon Patances backing him up. No, it's a significant problem, and you know it's not something that can be fixed by making any moves. I mean, these guys just have to pitch better. That's that's it. They have to execute their pitches. They have the bodies in the bullpen to do the job. They have more than enough, more than capable guys out there that can go out and, and finish a game who have done it in the past. I mean, you have literally three guys out there who have closed games for an entire season. And you're telling me that not one of them can do it. Well, Robertson hasn't gotten many opportunities to do it just because Girardi hasn't put him in that situation many times. But the fact of the matter is that they have too many good pitchers in that bullpen to let these runs get get them at the end of the game and lose these one-run games. It's uh, it's unacceptable. They've got day baseball on Thursday, 1.30 in the afternoon. Sonny Gray is going for hopefully the series win. As you guys are listening to this podcast right now, uh, gearing up for that afternoon afternoon game. Uh, uh, some other news that came down. Warren went to the ten day DL. I, I realized when I saw or when you told me about that news before this pot before we started recording that we haven't even seen Warren in the game in a, in a while. So I guess he had some back spasms. Yeah, and this was uh, you know this is I think he's had them before. I mean he's a, he's definitely someone who's he been did. Uh, who's been hit by a, a nagging injury or two. So hopefully he can get back because he's another one of those guys that can effectively work at the end of a game. I mean, not that they'd, they'd really use him um, if, if, if you know, given the right situation, if everybody were healthy. But you're, you start talking later in the season and playoffs and things like that, you need guys that you have confidence in. And Girardi certainly has confidence in Adam Warren. So we definitely need him to, uh, to turn this around quickly and get back. You know, one guy that we didn't talk about who has, over the past two shows, and I feel like we need to say something about him because... You know, I think we did this with Starling Castro at one point where we just kind of forgot about him in the sense of, of, of making a point that he's been um, on fire. Your boy, my boy, our boy, everybody's favorite contract, Jacoby Ellsbury, <laughs> the chief. He's been playing pretty, pretty well and, uh, you know, actually comes at a very good time, which is shocking that he's doing something in tandem with what is needed. But with Aaron Hicks going down, with Frazier being down, they needed him to be the center fielder, and he's done a very, very effective job. I mean, 
I, I'd even say he's hot. Is that is that possible? Well, I mean, but for the past month, two weeks, he's been hot. The crazy thing is with Ellsbury, when he does play well, you kind of get that twinkle in your eye of like, oh, Ellsbury is actually a very talented player. Except he hasn't really shown it as a Yankee. But he's got the speed. He has a little bit of pop. He can hit it in the gap. He plays a good center field. It's just he doesn't show it consistently at all. And for the most part, he stunk for, as a Yankee this season. But like you get that little twinge of, oh, he's really talented. Yep. I mean, talented to the point of over the last two weeks, he's batting 419 with 13 hits and 31 at-bats. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, and he's After had some sitting. big hits too. They have not been they have not been, you know, just uh A-Rod hits. They they have been they've been actual game situation needing needing a hit, two outs, runners in scoring position types of hits. I mean, this guy has actually come through. So, um good for him. I'm glad he's playing well right now because the team needs it. And, uh, you know, I mean, at some point this dude's got to save some face, right? I mean, don't you have pride? Apparently he does. After being called Chief, it's been a good thing. Maybe we just keep calling him Chief. Uh, did you see me get absolutely killed on Twitter for calling Judge's home run Sunday night an A-Rod home run? I, I didn't see you get killed, but I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of side-eyed the tweet. I, I said it in jest a little bit. I knew what I was doing, but it kind of was an A-Rod home run. A little bit. That's okay, but this those are the type of home runs that we needed to get him to get back on track. And we're talking about a rookie. I know. A rookie. A-Rod did that, made a career out of that. I was like 50% trolling with that tweet. Yes, you, I'd say more than 50%. <laughs> uh, as it coincides, the, the Ellsbury um, praise anyway with also Clint Frazier is beginning rehab. Also comes at a good time. You get another right-handed outfield bat on the lineup with the September call-ups. Uh, with Hicks being down. And we don't know how long Hicks is going to be down. That oblique, that's the second time he's injured the oblique this season. Yeah. He might be gone for the season for all we know. Yeah, that's a that's a big problem. I, you know, once that oblique comes back, I think that's when you say, okay, this thing is now a lingering issue and it's a pretty important part of your body when you're swinging a bat and making, uh, you know, moving around and, and, and trying to catch balls in the outfield. Pretty big part of the, the midsection. So, um it's not good. It, hopefully he can, uh, a little bit of R&R can get him back. But at the same time, the Yankees do have flexibility because of Clint Frazier coming back. Ellsbury playing well, which I don't really think is going to last too much longer because because hey, that's probably that's just what That's what we happens. said about Chase Headley. Yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe Chase Headley and Ellsbury are going out for beers by themselves and be like, look, yo, we got to, yo. We got to turn this around. Maybe they looked at. We're getting killed on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe they looked themselves in the mirror and said, "Hey, we are in a playoff race. This is our job. Let's get up for this, goddamn it, and let's go play some freaking baseball." Maybe they said that to themselves. Maybe they go to the same barber. Maybe they have uh, the same life coach. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's working, and I like it. I'm actually not even going to make fun of Chase Headley because he's been very good pretty much all year, except for a month. So Chase Headley is actually having a good all all year round. Uh, Ellsbury has had a good month and I'm grateful for it because they're few and far between. Uh, last bit of news is that Gliber God, I mean, Gliber Torres is resuming baseball activities after the Tommy John surgery. When was that back in July, June, when he had that Tommy John surgery? Um, it was early. It was early. It was, uh, it was, it was devastating news at the time. It was devastating news at the time because it was, that was right around the time the Yankees. Headley was sucking too. Well, <laughs> but don't you remember? I think this was on the West coast trip. Um, and so many things have been going wrong for the Yankees. And then you pile on Gliber yeah. Torres going down, a guy we all hoped to see around this time of year. We thought Torres, August and September, could make a sort of Gary Sanchez of last year debut for the Yankees. 
Yeah, well, the good thing is, is that he's resuming baseball activities. Looks like that he's healing up that left arm, as everybody thought would. Uh, you hear the word Tommy John, you go, oh, my God, Tommy John. But it's his left arm, non-throwing. He's not a pitcher, so not that big of a deal in, in the grand scheme of things. And he just needs to get that feel back. And he's obviously starting to rehab in plenty of time to get ready for next year because that's when we'll see him. Before we get to Jared Diamond, Scott, anything you want to say before we get out of here? You know, just, we just need to stop losing these one-run games. I can't handle it anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's very aggravating. I, I've, I've put way too many, uh, way too many drafts of, of Yankees win tweets down to, uh, to rest. Actually, we need it, to talk about what you sad. did on Twitter Tuesday night. I didn't do anything on Twitter. I just called out something that everybody freaking knows. You put There's... up Batances for the W before he even... You should know by now you don't say Batances for the W before it's in the bag. No, I'm saying Batance is coming in for the W. Uh-huh. That's exactly what he's doing. Uh-huh. He's trying to he's coming in for the win. Okay. Of course. It's not saying he's gonna win. He's coming in so we're gonna win. He's coming in for the he's win. He's coming in for the save, that, so you should have said for the S. For but that doesn't make sense. For the win. The saving the win, right. The win is the is what we're saving. So I mean, if everybody is going to uh to, to look at that, you can blame me, that's fine. But it's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't make him throw that many curveballs. If I were, if it was me, I'd have him throw more fastballs. So blame him. All right, blame him. But I did put Machado in there on blast because you know he's ready to come to the Yankees. Yeah, he's just showing off for the Yankee fans at this point. Then he rubbed it in our face. Yeah, like look what I can do. All right, stay tuned for the uh, segment with Jared Diamond, and we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Turn around now, I know it's not far And I can smell it, deep down they jealous That'll never sell us what they used to tell us Shout out to all the fake fans To the dreamers that can make plans Stick to Joining us on the podcast now is Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal Jared, thanks for joining us Thanks for having me back, guys so this Apple Watch scandal Those cheating bastards up in Boston Is the biggest story right now in baseball What are your thoughts on the whole matter? Uh... It's, it's a fun story, I'll say that much. I've kind of enjoyed watching it and writing about it because it's just so uh, weird and it's unlike anything we've really seen before. And I think that's partially because it involves the Yankees and Red Sox and things are very heightened. And you have GMs going to the commissioner to complain about it, where perhaps in another situation, uh, the teams deal with it in-house and move on. Look, I think the reality of this situation is we're just going to learn more and more that probably every team is doing something like this, or I don't think the Red Sox certainly are the only team or the first team to be using some sort of electronic equipment in the dugout to try to steal signs. They got caught. They obviously were doing it too blatantly and they're going to get in trouble for it as they should. They broke the rules. I think they'll get fined. Maybe they'll lose a draft pick. I don't even know if it'll be that big of a punishment, but I do think the, the takeaway should be if you're Rob Manfred, you had to make it clear that look, this might seem like a slap in the wrist sort of punishment now, but if, if we catch anyone doing this again, we're going to have to come, come down a lot harder because Major League Baseball doesn't want this. Uh, it's clear from hearing Rob Manford yesterday or the other day, his talk, his, his press conference in Boston, he almost seemed agitated that this got brought to his attention. <laughs> he, almost, he almost made it sound like he would have preferred Brian Cashman and Dave Dombrowski deal with this in private because he didn't want to have to sort of adjudicate a case like this. He's going to have to. There'll be a punishment. I think we'll just sort of move on from there. I, I understand why Yankee fans are upset, but I think 
everyone else around the country who's not a Yankee fan or a Red Sox fan is kind of watching this and just kind of laughing. Jared, I got to believe that Manfred's rolling his eyes, thinking back and how much attention and how long these scandal slash cheating uh, episodes happen in the NFL and that he does not want to deal with anything like this and have it just linger and linger, especially into the playoffs coming up. We have a really good race coming up in the AL. Do you see you know, a, a penalty coming from, from what we're looking at at the NFL and what they did as far as big fines? Um, you talked about draft picks. I mean, do you think that's into consideration, though, what happened in the NFL? Yeah, look, it's going to happen quick. They don't want this to linger on. Plus, I just don't think there's all that much to investigate. <laughs> sounds like, they, from what we know, it sounds like MLB already has a pretty good idea of what happened. And now they're going to investigate whether the Yankees were doing the same thing. And maybe they'll find something. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Do I think the Yankees have probably tried to steal signs? Yes. Do I think they were doing it using Yes Network cameras? Probably not. At least the Yankees adamantly deny it. So, who knows? Like I know I sound pretty flippant about the whole thing. To me, it, it's it's obvious to me this is going on. Of course, teams are trying to find creative ways to steal signs. There, you could look back in history and find creative ways of stealing signs in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s. Teams putting people inside the scoreboard using different lights, using binoculars in center field. Uh, now, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it happens. This stuff happens. The Red Sox got caught. You know, it reminds me really much a lot of the Michael Pineda pine tar incident. Mm, now, I'm not saying it's up. a perfect analogy, but it, yeah, so it reminds me of it a lot because everyone knows that every pitcher is using pine tar, and the Red Sox decided to pit, to sort of knock the Yankees for that day because one, it was the Yankees, and two, because it was so blatant that it was embarrassing. It's almost like if you're going to embarrass us by making it that obvious, we have no choice but to call you out. And I think to an extent that's probably what's happening here with the Yankees. And I also think they're just frustrated. They had a really bad series against Boston uh, you know, last month. They sort of had a suspicion that maybe the Red Sox were getting two good swings against some of their hard-throwing relief pitchers. And they sort of went to investigate, and, what, and it was very obvious <laughs> that something sort of wrong was going on. So they felt like we have no choice but to file a complaint. Uh, and the Red Sox response is so funny to me, just saying, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna file a complaint against you because we think you're doing it too." <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's just it's gamesmanship. It's Yankees, Red Sox. Again, it's wrong. The Red Sox should be punished. They will be punished. But I think we could just sort of all relax a little bit and at least try to see the humor in it, which is we're talking about a baseball team having some elaborate uh, spying using an Apple Watch. It's just an absurd it's just absurd to even say. I'm totally with you and it's the fact that they used the technology is what pissed the Yankees off and I'm sure what other teams are upset about. Don't you think though this is a weird thing in baseball where it's accepted as long as it's just the players on the field? Like if a if a guy on second base is kind of giving hand signals to the batter on where the pitch is going to be thrown, that's okay. That's part of the game. But as soon as it goes a little bit farther than that, this kind of gray area to me just it seems a, a little weird. Well, C.C. Sabathia, I think, had a quote uh, the other day or um, whatever day it was. He, I thought it was very interesting where he said, you know, everyone's trying to steal science. It's our responsibility to try to protect them. Now, I'm not saying that that absolves the Red Sox for doing what they did, but I think it's an interesting point, which is, yeah, to an extent, everyone is trying to steal science. It is your job to protect them and to 
you sort of sort of to that end if you know if you know it's happening you have to do something you have to try to do something a little bit sort of creative to try to ensure this doesn't happen and frankly i like that i like smart players being rewarded if you're a smart player and you pick something up you should be rewarded for that now you shouldn't be allowed to use sort of these extra tools but you know imagine if you're uh, if you're some you're a hitter and you see uh you know you notice a pitcher tipping his pitches Good for you. So when we're talking about penalties and specifically looking at technology and what's going on in baseball too, the thing that comes to my mind is the Cardinals Astros hacking. Does Manfred look at what happened there thinking about this as kind of a grand scheme of of using technology, <laughs> weaponizing technology, if you will, to be dramatic um, against the rules of baseball? Is this something along those lines where they're going to be that harshly penalized? Oh, I don't think it'll be anything like that. The Cardinals Astros situation kind of had a federal crime. You had someone go to jail over that. That's there was no crime committed here. This was against the rules of baseball. It certainly wasn't against any laws. Uh, it doesn't. It's not the same thing. And I don't think that the very harsh penalty that the Cardinals received is an indication of what you're going to see with the Red Sox. I think it's going to be a lot more lenient. I don't think they're comparable situations. All right, let's move into the playoff race in the American League because it is good, especially in the AL East with the Yankees. Um, they stumbled against Cleveland, who I think might be the best team in the American League right now. But um, that that Yankee-Red Sox race is going to come down to the end. How do you see it shaping out? I still sort of think Boston has the, the inside edge, if for no other reason besides that Red Sox have been sort of ahead for a while now. They've just seen like, the better team, but the Yankees have played really, really well. I think it will, it will sort of come down to the wire. It's kind of weird that they don't play in September. I, I don't really know how that quite happened, right? The Yankees and Red Sox don't play in Correct. September. Yeah, they played. That, they played three different series in a matter of three weeks in August, and then they don't yeah. play in September. Yeah, that's kind of weird and kind of a bummer. It would have been nice to have a couple more games, especially especially given <laughs> recent events, right? And other series where so those two teams may have been fun. Maybe the ALCS if they make it that far. But look, I don't think the Yankees really should have, if you're a Yankee fan, of course you want the Yankees to win the division, but I'd just be concerned about them still getting into the playoffs. It is far from a guarantee with the way the American League wildcard is shaping out. There's so many teams in it. The Yankees really have not played all that well over the last, you know, they've struggled against the Indians. They haven't played great for the last couple of weeks. They've looked, they've looked very good at times. They've looked very bad at times. I would just, if you're a Yankee fan, just focus on getting this team into a wild card spot. And once you have that secure, then sort of turn your attention to the division because there's a lot of good teams that are in this. And perhaps most important, there's a lot of teams in this race that have much easier schedules than the Yankees have. The Yankees have a lot of tough games coming up. They play a lot of games against the AL East. You look at teams like the Twins. You look at teams like the Royals, where you're playing a lot of the White Sox and Tigers. And when you're one month of baseball, those things like schedule make a difference. If you're looking at the wild card, the, the actual standings too, and the teams that are competing with the Yankees, I mean, the Yankees, when you look on paper and, and look at the names on the on the jerseys, these guys are much better. It's a much better roster. Their pitching staff's better. It doesn't seem like they're, they're pitching uh, to their capabilities at some points, but I'm just curious on what your thoughts are on teams like the Angels and the Twins and r- really the Orioles. How are these guys still hanging around at this point? Look, like you said, I think there's no doubt that on paper, the Yankees are a class above every other team that's in this wild card race. The Yankees, to me, should, 
at least win the first wild card. They're definitely good enough to. They're better than everyone else they're competing with for a wild card spot to me. I don't think it's really much of a question. Beyond that, look, there's a lot of just sort of meh in the American League. None of every team that's in this race, be it Minnesota, be it Anaheim, Kansas City, Seattle, Texas, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, they're all flawed. There's all these teams are just sort of okay. That's why they're all just sort of hanging around 500 and not being able to separate themselves because if you're not that good. It's hard to put a great streak that you need that eight and two, that seven and three streak. Now, look, the Orioles have done it. They've kind of climbed back in the race. The Angels have played uh, well of late as well. But ultimately, I do think it's the Yankees and then everybody else. Not only that means much if you get into a one-game wild card situation and you're saying one game, nine innings to decide who moves on. It doesn't really matter who's been better for six months at that point. But I don't know. I don't know who I like. None of these teams really inspire me. Maybe it's Anaheim, maybe it's Minnesota, Baltimore, maybe I think maybe those three, one of those three kind of come out of it, but if you told me the Mariners go on a huge run in September and win the second wild card, I'd believe you, because why not? Do you believe the team that uh, is the hottest in September and October is the team that's just going to win the World Series or get to the World Series versus the the guys that have been there all year? And specifically, I'm talking about the Astros, who have been the best team in the American League since April, but the Indians who have won 13 in a row and look unbeatable right now. And who knows where they'll, those two teams or if the Yankees or the Red Sox or some other team will be hot in the last couple of weeks of September. Do you buy into that theory? I do think the team that's hottest in October is the team that wins it. Here's the thing. The team that's hottest in the last week of the regular season isn't necessarily the hottest team in October. These things change quickly. We've seen teams go into the playoffs blistering and then immediately fall apart. We've seen teams kind of limp their way into the playoffs and then immediately flip a switch and get better. I just think the playoffs are weird. There's a lot of randomness. There's a reason why in the wild card era, the team with the best record in the regular season has won the World Series less than a quarter of the time. It's because when you get to the playoffs, all the teams are just kind of reset. Everyone's equal. So the fact that Cleveland looks great now, does that really matter in October? It matters insofar that the Indians are a great team. The Astros are a great team, but We've seen time and time again sort of random teams like one of these wildcard teams we're talking about just sort of go on a run you don't expect. And that's why I don't think it, I don't think it's easy to sort of handicap the playoffs because the playoffs are random. They're unpredictable. And in a way, that's frustrating because it leads to a lot of teams like, say, the Dodgers who go in and lose in the NLDS and you go, what happened? But in a way, it's also kind of fun because it's this whole second season where Anything could happen, and everything, everything's heightened, and all the games are exciting. Jared, you're talking about having the Yankees just focus and bare minimum get into that wild card. Make sure you're focused on getting into the playoffs. The one-run game has been such a linchpin for the New York Yankees this year, and last night with Batantis giving up the brutal home run to Manny Machado. Talk about the closer problems. What are the Yankees going to do? They seem like they have... Sp- you know, a, a number of closers who should be able to go out and finish the games, but really nobody has taken a stranglehold on the job. Nobody has the confidence of Girardi, it seems like, certainly not the fan base. What are your thoughts on the closer situation? I just can't believe that the conversation we're having about the Yankees. That it's unreal. This bullpen with all these names, all these great names, can't seem to put either. I, I really believed when they traded for Robert, for David Robertson, Tommy Canley, that was going to really... Uh, be the difference. Uh, that would sort of push the Yankees into another level 
especially in the playoffs because of having this bullpen of doom where they could shorten the game to six, five, six innings every night. It hasn't happened. I don't really know why. And if, if I'm Joe Girardi, I'd be frustrated because I'm looking at my bullpen and going, I have a world as Chapman, Dillard, Batances, all these guys, and none of them could get it done. I don't know what's going on. It does look like Chapman perhaps has sort of figured things out, righted the ship a little bit, but it is sort of just strange that this has gone on for them. It's like the last problem you'd expect the Yankees to have, but just goes to show you in a way of just how amazing Mariano Rivera was really right. That for all those years, he was just consistent and predictable and great. He's like pretty much the only reliever ever. One of the only relievers ever that you could say that about. And the fact that the Yankees have all these guys and still can't get one of them to sort of nail down that job. I think it just makes what he did for all those years even more impressive. We all know it's impressive, but man, was he good. (laughs) And and predictably with the outcome, but also predictably, which is the most ironic thing when you look at Rivera and his full career, is that you know, he had that one go-to pitch. I mean, you knew it was coming and still couldn't hit it. So it makes it, to me, even more unbelievable in how he got that that one pitch just so deadly for an entire career. So you're right. And I was actually talking to somebody about this on Twitter today because last night, I don't know if you were watching the game, Jared, but the biggest issue with uh, Batances is that he couldn't command his fastball. And we've seen this so many times this year. He can't throw his fastball for strikes. He goes to the curveball, which is his better pitch, but you can't just you can't live off one curveball. You can't do that. Maybe you can do it on a fastball. Chapman's done it on a fastball. Rivera did it on a cutter. But that's the biggest thing I'm seeing right now with Batances is that he can't command his fastball, and it seems to come at random. That's what's frustrating about Batances, right? Is that he goes from looking at completely unhittable. There's 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 nights we've all we've all seen this. There's nights when Dylan Batances goes in the game and you're watching him and you think to yourself. I don't understand how this guy ever gives up a hit, let alone a run, where he's just locked in and he's throwing strikes and he becomes impossibly good, unhittably good. But then as quick as that happens, the next day comes and the guy can't throw the ball anywhere near the plate, clearly has no idea where anything coming out of his hand is going. And it's as if the day before never happened. You wonder, how is this, how is this the same guy? You have, I always say you have good potances and you have wild potances. You never know which one you're going to get. You usually figure it out pretty quickly. It throws like three pitches and you go, oh, this is good potances or this is potances where he has no idea where the ball is going. Like he's a big guy. It's hard for sometimes some of these bigger guys to repeat their mechanics, but it is very frustrating, I imagine, just to not know who Dylan Potances is on you know, any given day. You know, sticking with the pitching staff, going to the starters, Masahiro Tanaka obviously had an abysmal first half, it seems like, since the All-Star break. He's really figured it out. He's been much, much better. Seems like he's controlling his fastball, which makes all the other pitches that much better, um, especially that split finger. Once once he's controlling the fastball and that split finger is shown, it dies off, kid, and they cannot touch it. Why do you... Why do you think his second half success is what it is? And do you think it has anything to do with said opt-out clause coming up at the end of the year? No, no. I, I, look, I, I'm, I'm never one to believe that a player is suddenly trying harder the, in a contract year. Nazir Tanaka was, was trying his best early in the year, and he's trying his best. Now, uh, usually the biggest reason for improvement is health-related. Now, I don't know what Tanaka's situation is. There's always questions about his elbow and other parts of his arm. I don't know if someone was bothering him earlier in the year because this is the Masahiro Tanaka we saw last year where he was excellent last year and he's been excellent 
in the second half. Now, certainly it behooves him to be pitching well this time because of the opt-out. Uh, but I don't think that – I just don't think it's, it's fair to say, oh, well, he, he's just trying harder now because he, he, he's liable to get paid. No, these guys are competitors, and they, they always want to play well. So I, I know why people say that. Whenever someone has a good contract year, they go, well, look how we just brought up for the contract year. But I just don't think that's fair to these players who say what you want about them. I guarantee you that when they're between the lines, they are trying their best. So maybe Tanaka's healthier. Maybe he, he changed something mechanically. But they need them. If they're going to make noise in the playoffs, they cannot rely only on Luis Severino. They're going to need both him, Severino, and Tanaka. They're really going to do some damage. I think last time we talked to you, Aaron Judge was hitting for the Triple Crown, and then he went to the Home Run Derby and became the biggest star in baseball for a little time. And since then, he's been uh, disappeared and been the worst player on the Yankees, it seems. Have you seen anything like this before, where a guy has had this drastic of a different half of baseball? Uh, It's almost never happened. I actually wrote about this recently, about a week ago, where uh, at the time, and it hasn't changed much, Aaron Judge actually has the third greatest OPS and batting average drop-offs from the first half of the second half ever, ever going back to 1933, the first year of the All-Star game. That is not good. <laughs> that is not good. You know, he, the, the leader in both of those categories is Brendan Bosch, who was actually with the Yankees, I think, for a very brief time, who in 2010 with the Tigers had an incredible first half and totally fell apart and never really regained his previous form. Now, I don't think Aaron Judge is Brendan Bosch. Aaron Judge is uh, amazing. You, so you don't do what he did in the first half without having uh, incredible talent. What he did in the first half was so spectacular that you knew he was going to drop off a bit. There was no way he wasn't. He was never going to repeat that first half performance. You didn't expect it to be quite this dramatic, but I think what you're just seeing is one, uh, a guy like him with his size, with his frame, uh, it's, it's hard for them mechanically. And they go through these ups and downs and they're going to be streaky. There's a reason why there have been just a handful of uh, position players, his size, ever even to play in the major league, let alone have a, a sustained career. Second, you have the, the question about his shoulder. I don't know if, we're ever, if we'll ever get the, the real answer as to what's going on with his shoulder. Uh, do I believe that maybe something's wrong? Yeah, I believe it because injury, like I said about Tanaka, injury tends to be uh, always a major player. And when a, when a player starts to struggle inexplicably, it's often because of something hurting him. So I'm sure that's a factor. I'm, I'm sure also pitchers have figured stuff out. We've seen pitchers work, work fastball more than they did in the first half. They've been figured out that they could beat him up there. Uh, I think he'll adjust to it. I still think he's a very good player. Do I think he's going to be the guy he was in the first half uh, again, where he's going to hit 340 and hit 55 home runs? No, I don't think that's who he is. But do I think he's a very, very powerful middle of the order, 45 to 50 home run guy? Yeah. So I'm not worried about Aaron Judge. I think he'll figure it out. You know, I'm surprised that the injury to the shoulder, if we're calling it an injury because that's what we saw on that that one video that someone in the Yankees tweeted about Ronald Torres when he was running down, everybody was on their knees giving him a high five and Judge was there in a big rap. I felt like that's when it really got a lot of buzz. But, I mean, from from guys and just colleagues of yours when they're in the clubhouse and they're they're interviewing these guys, are they not seeing these raps on, on Judge before that? Is this not something that, you know, has been 
you know, something that he's been dealing with for a while because it seems like when you break down, and Andrew and I have talked about this at length, but when you look at the, the way that his approach is uh, first half to second half, first half going the other way and really using the entire field, whereas the second half now he's opened up, his stance is a little bit more open. Um, they're even shifting. I mean, Buck, Buckshaw Walter's shifting on him now. It's a totally different guy, totally different approach at the plate. And to me, I agree with you. I think that screams injury. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've seen the racks. You see it after games. It's not new. But I think it's important to remember that uh, you look around the clubhouse and you see every player wrapped with something. So sure. it's kind of hard necessarily to distinguish what's a real problem and what's not and what's just sort of the natural sort of aches and pains of the season. Do I think this judge shoulder thing is more? Yeah, I guess. I think it's probably more than the Yankees have let on. I don't think it's the only reason why Aaron Judge uh, is struggling. I think, like many things, there's a lot of factors. I I applaud Aaron Judge for wanting to continue to play. I do think that as you mature as a player, you start to recognize better when uh, you need to actually rest an injury and when you can play through it. I think that's something as a veteran player start to understand a little bit better, which is, okay, this is an actual injury and this is aches and pains and I know where that line is I think young player like Aaron Judge might not know where that that line is uh well should the Yankees have stepped in and been more aggressive about it I don't know teams tend to listen to their players when they ask them how they feel it's it's a it's a tough situation it's not new every team sort of goes through this with players where they say they feel fine the team thinks he might be hurt who do you trust I don't know it's a tough situation I, I think Aaron Judge will be fine hopefully he rests this offseason. Whatever is wrong with his shoulder heals. He comes back, and things sort of pick up from pick up from again. He has looked better over the last couple of days. Ever get that monster home run on uh, the other night, the 470 foot homer? He had a couple of good at bats after that. So maybe he's starting to figure something out. Final quick question before we let you get out of here. After everything that the Yankees have been through this year, where they sit now, what their expectations were going in, and then what they did at the trade deadline, what would you consider a success for this season? Hmm. Well, going into the year, no one thought the Yankees were going to be in the playoffs. Now, uh, it would be a huge disappointment if they don't get to the playoffs. So that's number one, get to the playoffs. So I think this is a Yankee team that's destined to win the World Series. No. If they get to the ALDS and lose the ALDS, I think that's a disappointing season. Absolutely not, because that would far surpass the expectations most people had for this team. We forget this is supposed to be a rebuilding year. So I think at this point, just get to the postseason, hopefully win that wild card game, and I think anything beyond that really is gravy to me. All right, Jared, thanks a lot for joining us, and it should be a fun September of baseball. Enjoy it, thanks. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.